Our first reading from the book of Revelation in the 14th chapter. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. This is the word of the Lord. In our epistle reading from the letter to the Romans in the third chapter. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise in honor of the gospel. Our gospel reading from John's gospel in the 8th chapter. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day once again where you have gathered us together around your word to receive your gifts. As you hold on to us and have set us free from the things that have bound us, you carry us to yourself. And we pray you work by your spirit. Remove distractions from our hearts and minds that we would hear of your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness for us in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, here we are on Reformation Sunday. For many of you, that means a whole lot. For some of you, you kind of say, okay, that happened in the past. That's great. What is this Sunday about? And how does it have anything to do with this gospel reading that we heard? Which is a pretty traditional reading for this day, actually. Well, here we are 505 years after the day that Luther had nailed his 95 theses to the Wittenberg Castle Church door to invite an academic conversation 
around how the church had gotten away from the word and really started to try and control people through uh, their works and their duties and tell them that their freedom, their forgiveness, and everything else really had to do more with how they acted versus what Christ had done for them and the faith that he had given them. 505 years ago. It's a long time. And we celebrated that five years ago with, throughout the church with a big celebration of things with a 500th anniversary, and everyone kind of looks to that date as the beginning of the Reformation, and there's truth to that. But there's so many other things that have come along since that date as well that are celebratory as well. So last year was another one. In 1521, so in 2021, 500 years later, in April of 1521, Luther was at a place in Germany called Worms. And there was this fun argument and discussion they had called the Diet of Worms. And every kid has a whole lot of fun with that because it looks like you're eating worms. But that's not what it's about. It was a debate and it was a place in which Luther was called with all of his writings that he had done over the previous four years stacked in front of him. And the Holy Roman Emperor was there, and other folks from the Catholic Church were there, and they said, all right, did you write these books? And he said, yes. And they said, do you renounce all of them? Do you recant from all of the things that you taught with them? He said, I need more time on that one. And so he took a day, and he came back, and he said, look, I did write the book. But to go against what I wrote would be to go against Scripture itself because so many of them are bound up in Scripture. And would you have me discount the Word of God? Would you have me discount these other things that really have no bearing on the church whatsoever? It's like, I can't recant all of these. My conscience is bound to the Word of God, to the Holy Scriptures themselves. So in that moment, there was an extreme focus on the importance of Someone's life shaped by the word of God, not necessarily by the traditions of men. Now they quickly exited Luther from that. See, they had given him three weeks worth of safe travel, and those three weeks were just about done. And so they sent him off to go back home, knowing that on the way back home, anybody really could attack him and just take him out of the picture altogether. And so he was taken by one of his supporters, who really didn't even know how it was going to play out, but uh, Prince Frederick the Wise uh, sent a party of guys around to kidnap Luther. Took Luther away, put him up in the Wartburg Castle, and this is in April of 1521. While he was up there, in May of 21, that Diet of Worms had concluded, and they decided that Luther was a heretic and that he shouldn't be allowed in the church anymore, and really anybody, if they wanted to uh, take him out of history, was free to do so now. So Luther hung out in the castle for a year. We celebrated that. Well, we didn't necessarily celebrate that, but 500 years worth of that celebration just happened last year, April of 2021. Spent a year in that castle. He grew a big beard, grew out his hair, People knew him as Knight George. He could go into town and people didn't really quite recognize him anymore. And he continued to hear of all of the folks that still didn't know God's word. They had no chance to abide in the word necessarily because it wasn't really taught well and it wasn't available very easily. There were some available, but to put it in our 
understanding, it would be like buying about an eighty or $90,000 vehicle to get a Bible in your hands. It was out of touch for many. And so as he started to hear more and more about how this was affecting folks in about January of 22, 1522, he started translating the New Testament. In about 11 weeks, he was done. And he was translating it out of the Greek and Hebrew, or not Hebrew, Hebrew is the Old Testament. He would have translated out of that a little bit later as he completed the entire scriptures. But translating out of the Greek, which he had a pretty good handle on, and using resources from friends and folks that were kind of of the same mindset, in 11 weeks he pulls together a New Testament. So by spring of 22, why is that important today? Well, last month, September, would have been another 500-year celebration. You see, in the fall in his area, they would have a book fair. Those aren't new. <laughs> they would have a book fair. And they had been having this book fair for a long time. And many times there would be handwritten copies of things, but the printing press was just coming in. So there was an availability to have bound printed things as well. And so in 1522, of September of 1522, now all of a sudden the scriptures were available for the common man in their local language. They didn't have to learn Latin in order to read them anymore. And the Latin was a translation out of the original languages anyway. It's actually kind of funny. The Latin translation was meant so that everybody at that time could have a scripture in their hands. But then no one knew Latin anymore. And so then it just got relegated over to the academic world and no one knew the scriptures anymore. But here it is now in German in the hands of the people. So instead of buying a $90,000 vehicle in our idea, it's more like buying a refrigerator. It's still a good chunk of money, but more accessible to most, right? And so now they could, for a much more reasonable cost, have God's word in their hands, be able to hear of the word of God for them. They'd be able to read John chapter 8, where Jesus says, Truly I tell you, if you abide, if you stay constant, if you remain, if you live in, if you dwell in my word, You'll truly be my disciples. See, that's not what they understood disciples to be up until that point. Up until that point, anybody that was within the church was just taught you have to give enough money, you have to do the right things, you have to go on certain pilgrimages, you have to not even consider your daily work as a holy work that's glorifying God, but you have to maybe go join a convent or a monastery and go pray 17 million times a day and go do all of these other things that need to be done and only that stuff is glorifying God. The rest of what you do doesn't count. That's what they knew. But to be able to hold God's word in their hand and read that verse, if you remain in my word, you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How is that different than what they've been taught? See, what they had been taught was that to be free from your sins or to be free from the wrath of God and the judgment of God for your sins, you had to work it out. Sure, he washed away original sin in your baptism. This is what the Roman Catholic Church would teach at that day. Sure, he washed, washed away original sin in your baptism, but from that point on, it's up to you. 
you got to make a good go of it. you got to do the very best you can. you got to fulfill all the law. you got to take care of all these things that God expects from you in the Ten Commandments. you got to fulfill all the things the church expects from you so that you can show your faith and show how good of a Christian you are. That's a big burden. And you know that. There's times in life we even try to do that. We try to take on the identity marker of whatever it may be, of showing how good we are in things and forgetting that even our good things need God's redemption in Christ. See, when we take that work out of God's hands and we stop dwelling in his word and we start to create our own word and live by our own law, we can really make just about anything seem good. But then we also start to identify by those things, too. And we start to take on those labels. Instead of son of God or daughter of God or Christian or uh, forgiven or loved by the creator himself, we start taking on other identity things. We might just be identified by our work or our desires or whatever sin it is that has bound us and that we are bound to because it's something that's so enjoyable to do more often than not. That those things can control. And we need something outside of ourselves to break us free from that. So to dwell in God's word, and I love the way Jesus works these words. To dwell in his word is to be his disciple, to know the truth. The truth will set you free. And then there's a little bit of discussion. And then if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So we're to abide in his word, but that word never goes away. That word abides. That truth, that truth is something that's unchangeable. And so we are the ones that need to be changed, and that truth is unchangeable. So truths, in their eternal sense, are going to be constants that abide. And if the word is a thing that we're in, and that brings the truth, and the truth sets us free, and then by the end, Jesus says himself, the Son. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So Jesus. The Son, the truth, the Word, all three of those things pointing to Himself. To abide in the Word is to abide in the truth, which is to abide in Jesus. And that we can't do on our own, but He comes from outside of us to claim us as His own and take us out of that identity of sinner and bound in sin to place us into the identity of the Son and child, God. A sonship is important because that position of sonship means inheritance. That position of the firstborn son in a family in that day would carry the weight of the one who is to inherit everything of the father. So man, woman, you would be placed into that identity of the firstborn son. You would be given his righteousness, his position. You'd be given everything that he has to get from God, to be given by God, all the things that would take care of you into eternity, all the things that would break you away from the sins that bind you. That's the word that Luther translated into German. That's the word that William Tyndale, not long after, translated into English. That's the word that God gives to you every single day. That's the word that Jesus was giving to the Jews who had believed in him. 
to let them know that they were not bound by their religious fervor or anything else to try to prove who they were as God's people, but to know that he, by his word, was proclaiming them God's people. He was the one that had already chosen them from the beginning. He was the one that was going to die and forgive their sins. He was the one that was going to continue to work in their lives to point them back to his work. He was the one that would send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the one that would continue to point God's people back to his work done for them. He's the one that's died for you. He's the one that's forgiven you. He's the one that's raised you up out of the bonds of slavery to sin and into the family of God. So the Son abides. And you all carry that same childhood of God. Son, daughter, claimed by him in your baptism. To be wrapped up in his word, to be bound in the truth. The truth that has set you free from all of those desires that would try and pull you away from God and set you into the household of faith where the Son and you abide for eternity. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done through your Son, Christ. Jesus himself, as he took our place on the cross, died for our sins, and then gives us the familial position of the firstborn son, the one to inherit all of eternity from you, the ones to be shown your grace and your mercy. We thank you for continuing to work throughout history and folks like Luther, Melanchthon, and all the others throughout the time of the Reformation that would bring your word to us, to put it into our hands so that we could hear firsthand of your love for us in Jesus. We pray you continue to work by your spirit. Lead us, guide us each day. Ever point our hearts and our minds and our eyes to the love you have for us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.